Well, today we're starting a new series called Crosswords. It's, it's really the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. How many of you grew up in a church that practiced um, or had a season called Lent? Yes. A lot of us did. I grew up in a Methodist church. We did that. And there was always a focus during that season of repentance. That's what Ash Wednesday is about. Putting the, the ashes on your forehead is a sign of repentance. And really, really reflecting on our relationship with Jesus and putting a specific attention on the cross. Oftentimes, churches will actually use these statements, these seven statements of Jesus on the cross as a guide because they're powerful, powerful words. You know, Jesus didn't have the breath or the energy after he'd been up all night. He'd been beaten, hungry. He, he didn't have the energy to give a sermon. He didn't have a lot of energy to do a long teaching, but he gave seven very concise statements. The longest is two sentences, two very brief sentences. The shortest is one word in the Greek language. And yet each of these form kind of a spiritual path that guides us in our journey. Last words are lasting words. If people when they're on their deathbed or, or nearing death often say something that's very profound. I'll never forget watching the video of Lou Gehrig famous Hall of Fame baseball player for the New York Yankees. He suffered from ALS, which we know uh, um, now as we call Lou Gehrig's disease, but he had to retire early from baseball. And he spoke before Yankee Stadium to that beloved crowd, these immortal words, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Nathan Hale, as he was being hung by the British soldiers for being a spy, said, I only regret that I have but one life to live, to lose for my country. Oscar Wilde, who was an Irish poet and playwright, you probably never heard this one, said, either that wallpaper goes or I do. <laughs> and both went. Oh. Um, <laughs> Steve Jobs, though, founder of Apple Computer, when he died in 2011, it's recorded that in the room where his family was gathered, his eyes looked over the shoulders of his family, and he just said these words, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. What words people say when they're dying that have affected you? I mean, these seven statements of Jesus from the cross have the power to change your life. And I really believe for some of you, you need, you need something. You need an infusion in your spiritual life. And I just want to encourage you as we go through these, listen to Jesus. Why did he say these specific things? What does he want us to know? Because I believe there's some profound truths that will impact you. Because each of these statements goes from the beginning of the Christian journey all the way into the time when we go into the presence of the Lord. It's really kind of like mile markers along that journey. And to understand the background to them, especially this first one, you need to know what just went on in Jesus' life. He had a Last Supper with his disciples before he went to the cross. He was eating that meal, and during the night, the Bible says that, the, that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. And Jesus went over to him and said, go do what you've come to do. And so Judas left. And then he met him in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went to pray with his disciples, and they kept falling asleep. But Judas arrives with the Jewish authorities. They arrest Jesus, and they take him, take him over to Caiaphas, the high priest, where he's interrogated. There's false witnesses who lie against him. They actually spit on Jesus and slap him across the face. They send him over to Pilate, who wonders what he's supposed to do with this guy. He examines him. He finds nothing wrong. He sends him over to Herod. Herod investigates him. It says they treated him with contempt, and they send him back to Pilate again. And Pilate says, I, I'm going to wash my hands of this thing. I'll give you an option. We'll release to you Barabbas, a known criminal, or this guy that, that's caused some trouble named Jesus. And they said, give us Barabbas and crucify the other guy. 
And so the soldiers took him away. They stripped him of his clothes, put a reed in his hand, put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him as their king. And then they took him out to Golgotha where they nailed him on a cross up between two thieves. They stripped him down to his undergarments and then gambled for his clothes. People that passed by mocked him, ridiculed him. Thieves on those two crosses hurled insults at him. And then Jesus spoke. You need to understand that context because then Jesus said, the most unlikely thing you'd ever expect them to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you think of any more crazy thing to say after what he'd just gone through? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive. It's one of the beautiful words in the Christian language. It means to send away or to release, as in a debt, to let it go. Forgive, I release it. Jesus once said in a sermon, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he's putting it into action on the cross. Some people on their deathbed make confession. Jesus on his death cross made intercession for those who'd wronged him. You know, forgiveness is a gift he gives to mankind. But it's a gift you often don't realize until you actually get a point in your life where you say, I need forgiveness. Recently, we've been trying to get back into our house. We've been in a hotel for six weeks. Yesterday, we moved all of our stuff back into our house, and we've determined we're going to live in the basement. Now, the basement has a bathroom that's not been working, so it's just about finished. It has a toilet that flushes, sink that works, a little bit of work needs to be done on the shower. But the man, a good guy in our church, Jeff Causey, incredible handyman, uh, was ready to turn the water on the other day, and the valve kept spinning. And he said, hey, I've got a problem. The valve's busted. And you need to call the water company and have them shut off the water. So my wife called our local water company. They said it'll be $500 to send someone out to turn that off. So $500 for like 15 minutes of work? Seriously. So uh, I remembered 10 years or so ago, a, a man in our church dropped by my house and gave me something. I'd never seen this before. And I thought, what in the world is this thing? And so uh, he gives me this pole. And I said, oh, that's interesting. What do you do with this? He says, well, someday you may need to shut off the water valve by the street. That's right. I said, really? I want one of these? Yeah. I've never shut the water off by the street. So I, I, I put this in my um, work shed, and it sat there for all these years yeah. until last week. And so, so Jeff had to do some maneuvering to straighten out the pipe. And put this down in there, put all of his little weight in his hip, and got that thing to turn a little bit and shut the water off. Amen. And I said, thank you, God, you saved me 500 bucks. 500 bucks. If you need it, come see me. I'll loan it for 200. Okay? Just kidding, just kidding. But you know what? That was a gift given a while back. But it had no value to me until that moment came where I need that thing. And forgiveness is like it. Jesus gave this gift 2,000 years ago before you ever realized you needed it. Yes. Way before you ever needed it. Yes. But I'm telling you, you need it. Yes. You, you need it because what happens is our relationship with God over time has, has gotten really fractured and broken. And forgiveness heals that relationship. But it even goes beyond that. Forgiveness actually heals our relationships with other people. Yes. Which is often a place where we as believers get stuck. People hurt us. We know, how do, you, how, do you, how do you repair this relationship? 
And I, and, I, and I know that you will find something in this passage that can guide you to heal not only your relationship with God, but your relationship with others. So I'm going to pray, and then, and then we'll look at these two relationships, God and others, and how forgiveness can bring healing. Father, thank you for what you did through your son on the cross. Thank you for the blessing that comes to us, this gift. Way before we ever thought we would use it, Lord, you thought of our greatest need and provided abundantly. And so give us ears to hear your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How does forgiveness heal the relationship with God? Jesus starts off saying, Father, forgive them. Father, would you forgive them? Because they don't understand what they've done. And why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus could forgive sin. Didn't Jesus tell the paralytic once to show that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, rise up and walk? Jesus could forgive, but, but think about this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God gave the Messiah. God gave a savior that the world rejected, denied, betrayed, spit on, mocked, hung on a cross. And as much as it hurt Jesus, Jesus said, Father, I bet that hurts you even more. Father, would you find in your heart to forgive them? See, forgiveness does several things in our relationship with God. Number one, it removes the barrier. God is holy, and only holy people can enter into his presence. And because sin is a rejection of God and his authority in our lives, his rightful authority, I should say, because he made us. He made us in his image. He provided for us. And we've said, God, I know better for me than you do. Or I'm going to listen to this other thing, this serpent over here, and, and I think he's got a good idea for what would make me happy, but I think you're wrong, God. We reject his authority. It, it puts us in, at odds with God. It says in Isaiah 59, two years, iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And the issue is that all of us have gone down that path. It would be bad enough if we sinned one time or maybe a couple times, two or three times. We've made a lifestyle of it. For all have sinned repeatedly and fallen short of the glory of God. We all like sheep have gone astray. But here's what Jesus did. He repaired that breach. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's an image that happened during Jesus' crucifixion of the temple curtain being torn from top to bottom. That curtain was like four inches thick. It was like divine hands reached down and just ripped that curtain in two to say that God is accessible by sinners now because now they are forgiven. When our sin is forgiven, we now can enter into God's presence once again. Jesus did that for us. He gave us this gift. But like any gift, it has no value unless it's accessed. So even though Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, doesn't mean everybody's forgiven. You have to actually receive it. And we receive it when we trust in Jesus. Acts 10, 43 says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Removes the barrier. Also pays your debt. If you grew up in that traditional church that did Lent, you've had a prayer that you'd say, Pretty much every Sunday, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Because sin puts us in debt to God. And it creates a debt that we cannot pay because no amount of money can pay that debt. What God wants in payment is life. And life is found in the blood. It's just a, a picture, not just in the Old Testament, in many cultures. Life is in the blood. And sacrifices were done in many, many cultures because, because when someone wrongs someone and life is required, it's the shedding of blood. And God says, temporarily, I'll let animals shed their blood for you. But it's only going to push back the consequences because ultimately, I require the blood 
of a human. The soul that sins, that's the soul that should die. So what God did is through Jesus Christ, Jesus became the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Because if a man would die for another man, every man is sinful. If a guilty person can't die for another person because they need to die for themselves. But an innocent man, he could then take his life and take the consequences of somebody else, which is what Jesus did. The innocent Christ took your and my guilt upon himself, paid the price for our debt to be forgiven. It says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. He says, you were ransomed. Now, who's you? You. All of you. You've all been ransomed. How? Through the precious blood of Christ. You're included in the you, and you're included in the them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because it wasn't just the soldiers that needed forgiveness. It wasn't just Peter and Judas that needed forgiveness. It wasn't just Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas who needed forgiveness. It goes way back in time to all of us. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up to preach, he said, you guys, you know what you're seeing here today? This outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. God told you about this a long time ago. Do you know what else God told you? That he would send a Messiah from the line of David. And that Messiah was Jesus Christ because God authenticated him through miracles. And the greatest miracle of all was that God raised him from the dead. And then when he gets to the climax of the sermon, here's what Peter says. It's it's almost as if he stares at the crowd and his hand is raised. He said, now let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. (gasps) We didn't put the nails in his hands. We weren't, we weren't even there. What do you mean we crucified? Because it wasn't the nails that put Jesus on that cross. It was your sins. And everyone who sins participated in the crucifixion. I'll bet for many of us, if we were there in the crowd, when Jesus was being offered with Barabbas, we would have said, crucify him too. But it's our sins that put him on the cross. We are guilty. But you know what? God in his love says his sacrifice for us atones for the sins of the entire world. First John 2, 2. The entire world. I mean, there's not a single person on this planet whose sins aren't paid for by the cross. God so loved not just a portion of the world, not just an elect few of the world, but the whole world. Whole world. He died for the sins of all people. That's why in heaven we'll see such a mix of people, of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It says in Revelation 5, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. How are they ransomed? What was the payment? The blood of Christ. That's why we sing about it. That's why we talk about it. Blood means life. Here's what else forgiveness does. It cleanses your heart. Sin can weigh on us like an enormous debt. You know, I I pity some um, college students who come out of college these days with over $100,000 in student loan debts. And then they they get a job going to work for Chick-fil-A. Not that Chick-fil-A is a bad place. Just how are they ever going to pay that debt back? It's like a mortgage. It's It's like I've got a house mortgage to pay before I can actually get a real mortgage on a house. It's just enormous. You know, think of sin that way. A debt you cannot pay. 
an enormous debt. It weighs on you. There's guilt. Some of you may have experienced credit card debt, enormous credit card debt. And it feels like, man, I make a payment and I slide further back. How am I ever going to get out from under this? Sin has a way of weighing us down, of making us feel crushed in spirit. Because what we're doing when we hold on to our sin, we keep it within us, is we're denying the work of the Holy Spirit who's trying to get us to confess it. Trying to get us to open up and release it to the Lord. But when we hold it on, hold on to it, it weighs us down. And David describes this in the Psalms. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, groaning through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You know, when I held it in. I was groaning constantly. Now, in my Bible, there's a little word that I didn't include in your, on the screen there, because it's, it's like a notation. It says Selah, S-E-L-A-H, Selah. So after the word summer, it says Selah. And commentators actually don't know exactly what that word means. The best guess is it means this, pause and reflect. Think about what was just said. And if David is making that point, what he's saying is, think about what happens when you hold on to your sin. Think about that. Reflect on that. Is it doing you any good? No. So David then goes to the very next verse. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God is willing to forgive any sin you confess. He's there to do that. You know... Baptism is tied to repentance and forgiveness, I believe, because there's symbolism that's real powerful. Because if you've ever dealt with sin that's so dirty, it's so ugly within you, like, I did something that was really horrible. You know, I did stuff that was, that was very bad. That the water symbolizes God wants to wash you on the inside. You know how it feels when you come out of the shower or, the, or take a bath and you go, man, it just feels clean. That's how God wants you to feel. Not just your debt's been paid, but you feel clean. He cleanses our heart. And then forgiveness fuels change. It fuels change. When I was in high school, I had several friends that went to a particular church. I won't, I won't say the church name, but they would do things all week long and says, it doesn't matter what I do because on Friday I go to confession. And I can tell it to the priest and I'll be forgiven. And I've got a clean slate, and then they could go back out and do the stuff again the next week. And that makes no sense at all. In fact, it's, it would be like this. Taking a shower, and the first thing you do is go jump in the mud. Like, why, why would you do that? Why would you sin when you're forgiven? If you didn't like what sin did to you in your relationship with God and your relationship with others, why would you want to go back to it? If you've been set free from the prison, why would you go back into it? See, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the sun, sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Why would you go back into the old way of life? It says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 and 8, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. See, there ought to be a change in our lives if we truly are repentant. Forgiveness is not a, a, a permit to indulge in sin. It's a release to sin no more. Remember when Jesus stood by that woman caught in adultery and said, you know, I don't condemn you, but go and what? Sin no more. more. You know, don't don't, don't live like this anymore. Now, what happens when you're trying to live out the Christian life? You go, pastor, I'm trying, but then I fall. 
There's a difference between pursuing sin and stumbling in sin. Stumble is when, you know, you get caught in a moment. Maybe your emotions get the best of you. You do something. You say something. Uh, it's hurtful. You know, you hurt your spouse. You hurt a friend. You say something mean to your kids. You, you tell a little lie, you know, and you go, I don't feel good about that. Well, there's a, the Bible says what you do with that. Again, in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that word cleanse again. We have to access this again and again and again and again to constantly come before the Lord. I don't know about you. I go before the Lord quite often and just confess. God, I didn't do what I should have done. Thank you for your forgiveness and grace. Now, forgiveness heals our relationship with the Lord. But many of us really need forgiveness in our relationships with others. Charles Stanley, who's preached for, I don't know how many years, 60 years possibly, he says the number one issue he finds Christians struggling with are forgiveness issues. Because we get hurt, we get offended. People step on our toes. And and how do we deal with that? Well, forgiveness can begin the healing process in our relationship with others. See, if we are to be a disciple, a disciple is to be like the teacher, and if we're to be like Jesus, and Jesus forgives people, we ought to forgive people, because we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus set an example for us to follow. If you don't forgive, I'll tell you what'll happen. You won't have good fellowship with God. You'll grieve the Holy Spirit who's trying to speak to you. Your prayers will not be heard. The devil will gain a foothold through your bitterness. You'll waste unnecessary time nursing your wounded spirit or plotting your revenge. It will spill over into other relationships. And worst of all, you could jeopardize your own forgiveness. Because forgiveness is expected. Jesus expects us to forgive. And those who forgive are compelled to forgive others. If you truly have experienced forgiveness, the fruit of that is, I then extend that same forgiveness to other people. If you aren't giving it, you must not have it because those who have it can't help but give it. Back to the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. They're tied together. Forgiveness for me. Forgiveness for others. Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. We've all been hurt. Broken promises. Lies spoken against us. Gossip. Slander. Some of you experienced abuse verbally, physically, sexually. Some of you had marriage vows that were broken. I mean, very hurtful things. And I think about the people in Ukraine and what they have to deal with with this issue of forgiveness. To have their homes blown up, their streets destroyed, the schools their kids went to, gone, hospitals blown up. They walk back to rubble. Will they be able to find it in their hearts to forgive President Putin and his army? That's hard. That's hard. But I'll tell you this. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I I met a gal the other day. She's dealing with a really hard family situation, and she said these words, I will never forgive them. Mm. That's a hard place to be in, to never forgive, because God expects us to forgive. When someone wrongs us, it's like, we expect they owe us something. They owe an apology. 
They owe me an apology. They need to say they're sorry. They need to recognize how deeply they've hurt me. They need to make restitution if they've taken something from me. They need to make things right. And I'm telling you, if you hold out for those things, if that debt stays out there and you expect those, what are you going to do when they don't give it to you? What happens if that person dies and never pays you back, never apologizes for what they've done, never recognizes the gravity for how they affected you? What if that person dies? Does that mean that you can never release that issue? See, forgiveness is a choice we make regardless of the other person. Think about it. Jesus on the cross. Did he get an apology first? Did, did people say, we repent? We repent? Did, did, did people acknowledge how deeply they hurt him when they rejected him? No. Did, did they make restitution for him? Or did Jesus take the first step and says, I don't care what you do. This coming from me, I forgive you. I forgive you. That's my choice. I'm not going to carry this. That's what we do. We release the debt. That's hard to do. Because when you release it, you're telling the other person, sure, it would be nice if you'd apologize, but I don't need it. Sure, it would be nice if you'd acknowledge how much you hurt me, but I'll get by without it. You know, you cost us some money when you did that thing. I've written it off. You know, it's nice if you get those things, but forgiveness says, I can let it go even if they don't. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. It doesn't mean you're minimizing it. It doesn't mean you're saying that what they did was okay. It doesn't mean that it didn't hurt you because it sure did. It just means I don't expect a payment anymore. I don't expect you to do anything to enable me to forgive because I'm in the power position to forgive. I'm the one who can let it go. I release you from the debt. Now, here's where we get stuck. Well, pastor, that sounds like we're giving them permission to hurt us again. Sounds like we're telling someone, like, if I don't confront them or hold, hold them to it, they're going to hurt me again. You need to understand that forgiveness is not the same as trust. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness is about the past, what you did then. Trust is about the future, what you're going to do for our relationship. You can forgive and not trust. Happens all the time. Child gets abused by a relative, and the parents say, you know what, we've forgiven you, but that child can never be in your presence alone again. We don't trust you. That's okay, that's fair, right? Yes. Forgiveness is done in a moment. I have released, it's gone. Done, decision done, it's over. Forgiveness is a momentary decision. Trust is an ongoing effort where the person continues to rebuild the trust that was broken. Think about this. In a marriage, a man confesses to his wife of a six-month affair. And he goes, and he's tearful, and, and she finds it in her heart after a period of time, a few weeks, say, honey, I'm willing to forgive you. I've prayed about it. I've talked to God. I've seen the counselor. I forgive you. But here's what we need to do to rebuild the trust. I don't want you ever to see that woman again. I don't you want you to be anywhere near where she lives or where she works or anything, okay? Is that... I, I expect that when you say you're, you're, you're done at work, you're coming right home. See, what she needs is, I need to know you're safe. And that's where many times we get stuck is, yes, forgiveness is here. Trust is here. They're two different things. Don't mix the two. Because sometimes people say, well, you've forgiven me. Now you've got to trust me. No. 
If trust has been violated, it has to be rebuilt. But forgiveness starts the healing process. Forgiveness is free. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is freeing. It's liberating. One time Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of your Bibles say seven times 70, 490 times. This is actually, I believe, the more accurate, 77 times. But the point is, Peter says, Jesus, I'm a pretty spiritual guy. I find it in my heart that I would do it up to seven times. Someone wronged me, I could forgive up to seven times. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. How about, how about 77 times? Or how about 490 times? How about every time they come to you, you will forgive? How about, how about forgiveness continually flows from you? It doesn't have any limits. You don't reach a point where you say, okay, I won't forgive anymore. Because that's what I do for you. So here's what Jesus then followed that statement. He tells them a parable of a king who called the servants together to settle accounts. And one man came to him came to this king, it says he, had, um, ten, he owed 10,000 talents. Now, you need to understand, a talent was a weight of silver, equivalent, one talent equivalent to 20 years of labor. Think about that. He owes 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know what he did. Probably on draft kings or something, you know, really racking up the debt. Like, that's not the point of the story. It's just exaggerated. But yeah, he owns an enormous debt that would take lifetimes to pay back. I mean, there's no way he could ever pay it back. And the king says, tell you what, I'm going to absorb the cost. I'm going to write it off. The man is ecstatic, goes back, tells his wife. They celebrate. And then along the way, he remembers there's a guy that owed him a much smaller amount. I mean, a few weeks of work. Much smaller amount than he owed the king. And he goes to that man and he's about ready to strangle him and says, you pay every penny of that or I'm going to throw you into jail. And Jesus, not Jesus, but Jesus says the king then gets word of that story and then goes back to the first man and says, I heard what you did to that guy that owed you. How could you do that after I've forgiven you this massive debt? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put that debt back on you. You're going into prison and you'll stay there until you pay that debt off. And then Jesus ends that parable saying this, this is how it will be with anyone who does not forgive his brother from the heart. Do you think Jesus takes forgiveness seriously? He, he expects it. He wants it. And it frees us because when we, when we hold on to unforgiveness, we end up back in prison. It's a prison. You know what's so, so weird is people, people think that, you know, if I hold on to that debt, if I hold other people accountable for their debts, um, that's justice. And that makes me feel good. But it's been said that for unforgiveness is the poison you drink thinking you're killing the other person. Because sometimes they don't have no clue what's going on with you. But you're the one getting eaten away on the inside. Forgiveness is freeing and forgiveness is possible. When you reach the place where you say, oh, Pastor, I don't know how to forgive. I just can't forgive for that thing. It hurts me so much. I understand. I understand. It is really hard. But God never says, do it on your own. He says, do it through the power that I give you. When we allow grace to enter us, it then fills us so much that it spills over onto others. That's why Jesus says, just like he does with love, love one another as I have loved you. I'm going to set the bar and I'm going I'm to I'm exhibit what I want from you. 
Love other people like I have loved you. I went to the cross to show my love, okay? You don't have to do that, but love others. He says, forgive one another as I have forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Must also forgive. It's hard, but it's possible. And it starts with us first receiving grace. The more we understand the gravity of our sin and, our, and understand what forgiveness does to us, the more eager we are then to forgive the people around us. I see that all the time. People who are massively forgiven are just so full of grace, they pour it out to others. And so I want to ask you, where are you stuck in your life? I know there's probably a few here stuck in your relationship with God. Maybe, maybe you've done some things that have made you feel ashamed and guilty. But, but, it, but in a moment of time, you can make a decision and be forgiven. For all who received him, receive forgiveness of sins in his name. To call on the name of the Lord. To Jesus, I've wronged you. I've sinned against you. I recognize that. And I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to live for you, but I don't know how and I don't have strength to do it. Would you forgive me? I believe you died on that cross for my sins. You rose from the dead. The scripture says he'll forgive you. When we're baptized, we symbolize the fact that my old way of life is being put to death. And the water that washes us physically is symbolic of the, of the blood of Christ that washes us on the inside. When, when Ananias was sent to Saul, think about this, Saul murdered Christians. Saul murdered Christians and then, was, and then Ananias was sent to him when Saul was blinded on the road to Damascus. And Saul said, the Lord has called me to come and give you sight. Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, washing your sins away. God wants to wash it away. All that guilt and shame, he can wash away. What a beautiful thing as we saw today of just surrendering to the Lord and say, God, I just, I just let it all go to you. God will release you of that burden. And I would suspect there's a lot of people in this room who struggle with forgiveness issues with people. People who've wounded you, who've hurt you. And I don't know what your issue is. I'm sure it's, it feels right that you're bitter and that you're holding on to that thing. But how long are you going to hold on to it? Do you really want to hold on to it? Or do you want to do what Jesus said? And says, be free. Let it go. Let it go. Release it. Be free. Your unforgiveness is like chains around your neck. Let it go. Make a decision. And when you let it go, you never take it back. Whatever it is that triggers that stuff, get rid of that stuff. Avoid it. You don't need to take it back upon yourself and, and have all those feelings come back. You don't even have to tell the other person, hey, just need you to know, I've forgiven you. Because here's what might happen. They may say, Forgive him for what? Well, remember that time you did this that really hurt me? Oh, I didn't know. See, you, you may expect that if I tell them, they'll actually sympathize with me and they'll, they'll actually say they're sorry and some of the things that I hope that they would do, now they would do it because I've forgiven them. And they may not do any of those things. And will that create more bitterness? See, this is between you and God first. There may be a place to say it, but it's just you and God. And today you can say, God... I'm tired of carrying this baggage and I'm going to let it go. So I release it to you. Release it to you. And you can do that. You really can. Jesus would not ask us to do something that was impossible. 
And then just claim that the Holy Spirit who will fill you with his love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? Love keeps no record of wrongs. I've let it go. 